the solution to anti-Indigenous systemic racism, because it's, it is different and it's more intense than other kinds of, of racism, is to have more Indigenous leadership leading the way. That's Annamie Paul, the newly elected leader of the Green Party of Canada. She's our guest today on the Akamemuk Podcast. Danse, Tawa, and welcome to the Akamemuk Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamemuk is a Plains Cree word for you all persevere, or in other words, let's keep going and don't give up. So on this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders and community leaders. Our guest today is Annamie Paul, the new Green Party of Canada leader. She was voted into her job two weeks ago, taking over from Elizabeth May, who had led the party for almost 14 years. Annamie Paul is the first black leader of a Canadian political party and the first female Jewish leader. She's a daughter of immigrants from the Caribbean, and at the start of her victory speech earlier this month, she said, As the descendant of the black diaspora, who has suffered its own history of oppression and colonialism, I will always stand as a strong ally with Indigenous peoples in their calls to action, and their calls for justice, and the fight for self-determination and sovereignty. Anna Paul, welcome to the Akamema Podcast. It is an it's you know, it's one of those, I, I mean, crossing things off my bucket list, this is one of those moments, so it's great to be with you. <laughs> again, thank you again, congratulations again. And I, as Nasheep, I was so happy to hear when you called out the First Nations and Indigenous peoples very early in your victory speech. So mm -hmm. why did you choose to do that? Because I meant every word that I said. You know, um, my um, I'm part of the Black diaspora. I said a lot of times during the leadership race that uh, I, I come from people who don't even know what languages their ancestors spoke, uh, what their culture was, uh, what names they carried, uh, religions they had. I don't know any of that. I don't even know where I'm from in the world. Uh, people think of black people as being from the Caribbean, but all the indigenous people were killed off in a genocide and then we were brought in as slaves. Uh, so I know very deeply uh, what it means to lose one's land and history and culture and the price that you keep paying uh, every day because of it. And so, uh, you know, when I see uh, these struggles to preserve, you know, fight for every last inch of preserving those things uh, with um, our um, uh, in in. Uh, uh, with respect to Indigenous peoples, uh, I have to be a strong ally because I know what's at stake. So I will speak, I will say that every time, Perry, you're going to hear me saying that many, many times uh, as leader of the Green Party. Well, that's awesome because, again, as the Assembly of First Nations, we, we advocate for policy and legislative change, and we need allies, and we need strong relationships with all the party leaders. So uh, I'm really happy to hear that and uh, that we can build that relationship together to break... I always say bring about, if you want systemic change, you really need those uh, relationships strong in all the party leaders. And, and we need strong voices in that House of Commons. So thank you for sharing that. One of the things now, enemy going on in Canada, and we've all watched the, the horrific things when Joyce Ekekwan was in the hospital and she passed away, you know, and she, she went there for comfort and care but she faced discrimination and disparaging remarks, you know, and racism and ridicule. Now, 
the healthcare system, not only in Quebec, we can talk about Mr. Brian Sinclair in Winnipeg that died in the hospital waiting. We can talk about the doctors and nurses in British Columbia where they're guessing the guessing game regarding the alcohol content of First Nations people coming into their in their hospitals there. So Joyce is just the latest example of the healthcare system that needs a system that's badly failing our people. So how would you fix that in the short term or long term? What are your thoughts on that dealing with systemic racism in the healthcare system? Uh, the the solution to that and and lots of you know whether you're talking about that institution or others and, and systemic racism uh, and anti-indigenous systemic racism because it's it is different uh, and it's more intense than other kinds of of racism uh, is to have more indigenous leadership leading the way. You know we've tried this and that and we've had lots of recommendations and studies and reports and lots of apologies the one thing that we haven't tried that i believe would make all the difference is just to have these systems led uh, by indigenous leaders so that's what i would like to see you know the people who are most impacted by um, the failings in the system actually designing the system so that it uh, it works for them okay now that's one sector you know, I've said before, there's two things in Canada that hurt First Nations people in a very bad way, and we still feel the intergenerational trauma effects. One is the residential school systems, which I call genocide, not a cultural, but a genocide of our people, and the Indian Act, which was imposed in 1876. So between those two things, and um, it's colonialism, and it breeds systemic racism, and we just talked about the healthcare system, but as well in the justice system, in which I shouldn't even call it a justice system, the legal system. Because we're about 4.5% of Canada's population, but in the jails, in the prisons, 30% are, are First Nations men. In the female, on the female side, 40% are, are women, First Nations women in the system. So within that whole system, if you want to call it, I'll call it a legal system. How would you look at trying to fix that as well uh, going forward uh, when you become the next Prime Minister of Canada? How are you going to fix that? You know, this, this is... During the leadership race, um, every once in a while, Perry, I would publish just those statistics that you mentioned. No commentary or anything. I would just put them on social media. And it just blew people away because they had no idea that it was that bad, you know, that it was so disproportionately affecting um, Indigenous peoples and Black people, right? I sometimes joke we're, we're like in this terrible race for number one and number two in terms of who has the worst statistics in the criminal justice system in terms of arrest rates, incarceration, solitary confinement and everything else. And so um, we need a total dismantling and, and re, um, reconstruction of those systems under the leadership of Indigenous peoples and under the leadership of, um, of you know, Black people as well, because we're the most impacted by the failings of, uh, of those systems. And again, there have been lots of great recommendations about how we can redesign our system. The United Nations um, working uh, group of experts on people of um, African descent, for instance, uh, made a great set of recommendations. The Truth and Reconciliation um, Commission has made others. And so all that's left now are the, is the political will and leadership to do what is necessary uh, to protect, uh, you know, these you know, my community, your community, um, that has just been ravaged by the racism within the criminal justice system. And uh, we put out some some information, not information, some recommendations uh, during the campaign about how to dismantle systemic racism in policing, specifically focusing on um, indigenous peoples and uh, the black community, 
because we're heading in one direction. We're the only two left, Perry, that are heading to more incarceration, longer prison sentences and everything else, while every other group, including other groups of color, are heading uh, down. So, uh, you know, put it in our hands so that we can make the system work for our peoples. Hmm. One of the things I used to always say in your comments, like as, as First Nations people, we're First Nations people being treated like second-class citizens living in third yeah. world conditions. That's right. And so bringing about change. And so even mm -hmm. when the justice system, and you're a lawyer, so mm -hmm. you know about common law and civil yeah. law. Yep. How would you see, if we're going to look at restorative justice, incorporating First Nations law, natural law into that system as well, if we're going to talk about justice reconciliation? Well, it's already supposed to be, you know, this, these are commitments that had already been made and they're just not being uh, followed through on. Uh, judges already are supposed to be considering all uh, alternatives to incarceration uh, in terms of sentencing for uh, Indigenous peoples and they don't do it. I mean, they just, it, it has not happened, even though they're supposed to. Um, and, you know, I had the privilege and I deliberately chose to study law at the University of Ottawa because we did talk about um, not just civil law and common law, but also uh, indigenous law. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we looked at criminal law through that lens. And so again, all that's left, I'm going to sound like a broken record at this point, is to bring the, the leaders with the knowledge about how to integrate those and implement it and enforce them uh, into those systems because it's not working any other way. Mm -hmm. And frankly, there's so much leadership in the indigenous community, why why would we need any agent, any intermediaries anyway? Um, you know, put those people in the positions where they can um, they can make the changes that are necessary. It's so complex. Even when you start talking about uh, restorative justice, and and it's basically it comes down to recognition uh, as a, as another set of laws in addition to common exactly. law and civil law. And exactly. then you start looking at tribal courts and then our own police mm -hmm. and then our own mm -hmm. laws and how are mm -hmm. they enforced. And one of the things that was talked about was policing as an essential service. And that's one of the things we're pushing for. And that was contained mm -hmm. in the throne speech because right now in Canada, there's only a program. It's the First Nations Policing Program. It's a program mm -hmm. and it's 48% picked up by the provinces and 52% by the federal government. But because of all the things that are happening, we saw what happened with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and the, and the violent takedown of Chief Alan Adam in Alberta and all the deaths from, from, from coming in to do mental wellness checks. People are dying. So there's a whole push now. And so there is movement towards policing as an essential service. What are your thoughts on that moving forward as, in, in terms of 2020 and beyond? Well, you know, I um, I will take my instruction. That's something else that I said in the speech, I think in French, but not in English, but I take instruction on uh, those issues uh, from the lead, you know, leadership such as yourself. Uh, I can say in terms of the black community, uh, what we want to see is the is the police getting out of, of anything that isn't related to, um, uh, to the essential basic security. Because what has happened in our communities is that policing has just expanded, you know, almost exponentially so that it's the social service agency, it's the mental health service agency. Um, there are all kinds of interactions with uh, police that they should not be having uh, with the community. They shouldn't be the first people on the scene and people are dying, you know, mostly indigenous and black people are dying uh, because of um, 
you know, those failures. So we want to see a, a, a reduction in those kind of services and a focus on the things that only they can do and the money um, and the resources um, that are freed up being used to create uh, the new services, new mental health uh, response services, um, new community services uh, that we need. Um, but again, in terms of in terms of um, uh, indigenous communities, uh, you tell me. That's a, that's going to be my answer a lot, you know. Instead of my prescription, you're going to hear a lot of, you know, you tell me. I'm I'm here to my job is to help you get what you want, you know, on behalf of the people you represent. Okay. Well, on that note, then we're going to look for your help on this next point here, <laughs> enemy. Great. Policing is essential services, one part of it. And if we can get policing, as because right now it's a program, so we're going to keep pushing hard, and uh, we're going to be engaging with Minister Bill Blair to get this legislation drafted, mm -hmm. introduced for first reading, and hopefully passed to royal assent. That's one piece. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we've also said we need support and push from all parties to to push as well. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police to do an overview of policy as well and procedures because that has to be coupled with it. Like the everything, like from the use of body cams to, mm -hmm. to a zero tolerance policy for excessive use of force to yep. de escalation training and more cross cultural training for their members, strengthening the civilian oversight committee. So that's not just the blue veil, like police services, monitoring police services, uh, and then a better job at, on, on recruitment and selecting these officers. In terms of getting rid of their racial bias, so all mm -hmm. these things. So it's not just enough. Like I've said to to Minister Bill Blair about doing this piece of legislation. We also need to do the existing overview of policy within the RCMP. Now, was that something you would be supporting? Yes, Perry. Yes, as I said, <laughs> I'm here to support. But no, absolutely. When you're talking about dismantling systemic racism, you know it's a system, right? You're talking about systemic change, which means that you need to be doing a full 360 degree audit of every single uh, policy structure, et cetera, to identify all the ways in which it reinforces biases, all the ways in which they discriminate. And so that sounds to me like what you're describing and, and it's the only way to go. I will say though that, um, you know, one element, I'm sure it's part of your, a part is on your list there is the political leadership because you can have all the great recommendations in the world, all the great legislation in the world, but if you don't have a partner and actually implementing it and forcing it, uh, then it still just remains words on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. It's like we're moving away from the rec word reconciliation to reconciliation. And that, that's, <laughs> oh, I like that's, that. <laughs> uh, that's the piece like we're that. looking at. So now yeah. as part of that action going forward, we pushed hard in the throne speech in 2019 and even this year, to make sure First Nations priorities are part of that throne speech. And I'm going to say, knock on wood, we were kind of successful in the sense that we had a whole chapter. And that's unprecedented because there was never, ever mention of First Nations people or Indigenous issues in any throne speech before, maybe two or three words, maybe a sentence. Mm -hmm. But we had a whole chapter. So now we got to build on that and get all those priorities implemented. So everything, and I'm going to list them because I'm going to see where you at? I'm going to ask for your help okay. and support on these things, okay. like from legislation for the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, things like the implementation of a national treaty commissioner, again, on behalf of the Crown, you know, for implementation of the treaties according to the spirit and intent. Things like closing the infrastructure gap, not by 2030, but by 2025. So that means key investments in water and ending the boil water advisories by the end of March, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. broadband, proper housing, 
so that the infrastructure gap to be closed. The National Action Plan for Missing Murdered Jewish Women and Girls has to get done. And then mental health use suicide crisis nationally. And then the full implementation of C91, the language bill, Indigenous language bill, and C92, the child welfare bill. All those throne speech. We need help, need support. As the leader of the Green Party, what would your position on those things being fully Im implemented going forward, enemy? I, I mean, <laughs> again, <laughs> I'll say it as many times as you need to hear it, Perry. You know, I am very supportive of all of that. Um, and I'll take it even further and say what I said, uh, you know, before again, which is that, uh, you know, those things, uh, having them, uh, having them enacted in some cases, having them implemented in others is great. We need political leadership, real political leadership that makes this a commitment for all the years to come until all of those things are actually fulfilled. Because, you know, we saw out in, we see out in BC, I mean, UNDRIP is, is something that, um, that the government uh, said that they were going to respect, you know, it was a very, it was solemn and it was a very exciting moment. And then the government unfortunately disregarded it almost immediately. And so bringing UNDRIP, you know, bringing UNDRIP to Canada is a top priority, but then you actually, it doesn't end there. That's just the beginning, as you said. Uh, we're talking about action. So you have my support, um, not just to get, you know, get it into law, uh, but also to uh, get it actually done, you know, to get her done. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. definitely we're going to be yeah. looking for that support and calling on you for as these uh, pieces of legislation are introduced. You'll find it. You'll find it. Awesome. That's great. So now the Green Party. The Green Party grew out of the environmental movement. And you've said that your social policies are just as important to voters as your environmental ones. Explain that to our listeners. Well, look, uh, I come from a community, we just talked about it, uh, that has uh, suffered you know, the legacy of slavery, of colonialism. And I don't mean uh, abroad. I mean, here in Canada, too. You know, until 1834, Black people and Indigenous peoples could be owned as slaves. And uh, so, you know, this is something that, you know, in terms of the legacy, you know, we continue to to live with this legacy. So that's something that I bring to politics. And if I was going to join a party, it always had to be a party that actually cared about those things, uh, was thinking about them in a serious way and proposing the best solutions, you know, the best ideas. Uh, and so at this moment, we see all the things we've been talking about for so many years on the social policy side, things like a guaranteed livable income, universal pharmacare, uh, decriminalizing uh, drugs so that there's a safe supply to stop this, you know, the opioid epidemic that's ravaging, you know, it's ravaging my community here in Toronto, I can tell you. Um, those are things that now people are saying, oh yeah, the Greens, you know, yeah, they had great environmental and climate policies, but they actually had, had been saying a lot of things for a long time about social policies as well. So uh, this is our moment to help make that connection with people and to let them know we're the place to come for progressive ideas, period. So within yeah. the Green Party, you've got three seats in Parliament and you want to build upon that, like all parties. So what are you going to do differently from your predecessor, Elizabeth May, to, to win over more voters? Uh, in addition to what you just said about having progressive ideas, progressive policies, you, you don't want to be just seen as the Green Party movement and like you had progressive social policy. So that's one thing. We can put that on the shelf. So this is why you may be able to attract more voters. What mm -hmm. else can be done? 
Yeah, we, you know, my my job, the, the, the job description is chief spokesperson for the members. And so I am going to be doing all I can to start new conversations with uh, people all across uh, Canada, um, to reach out to people who should be clear, natural allies uh, of the Green Party, uh, to talk about why they should uh, they should join us, you know, why uh, they should vote for us. And, uh, you know, that's going to be the, the work day in and, and day out. And so, um, you know, I've already started. I think I've done about 100 interviews and uh, I'm going to I'm going to try. I'm going to do every single one that I possibly uh, that I possibly can. Um, we have three MPs. It's a great base to start from. It's the most actually under any first past the post system. Uh, but that being said, I want a lot more seats because good things happen when Greens are elected. And I've heard, look, I'm a mother. Um, I'm a I'm a daughter. I haven't seen my mom uh, for weeks and weeks because of the pandemic. So this is this is this is you know this is something that affects me in my life too. People don't want to go back to the way things were. That's it. We we demand something better than what we had going forward. And so people are going to be ready to make different choices because you you can't make the same choices and expect a different outcome. So uh, that's where the Green Party comes in. Okay. So you're you're running in uh, the by-election in Toronto, correct? Correct. And depending on the way that goes, uh, say you're successful, uh, you're in the house. If you're not successful, what are your next steps after that? Well, more more of this. You know, we we have we've have a very long uh, history of lots of leaders being elected um, uh, to lead their parties before they have a seat, and so you know, particularly in this moment in time when Parliament is is functioning in a very very different way. You know, there's a lot that I can do uh, outside. It gives me more freedom to do this. I mean, I'm guessing right now, Elizabeth and Paul Manley, uh, you know, they might be voting or speaking in some committee. Uh, so I get to do a lot more of this. Um, I get to travel virtually and hopefully physically. Uh, so, you know, I, um, I'm going to make the most of the opportunity, um, you know, if I don't win the seat. And that's a big if, Perry. All right. So we're into this COVID-19 pandemic and um, we're into the second wave. And everybody's thinking and hoping and praying for the vaccine and faster testing results. And we constantly tell our people to, to wash your hands, social distance, don't have large gatherings because it, it, it is real. It's amongst us. But as we move past COVID-19, the COVID-19 pandemic, and hopefully we move out of it in a year and we have to start restarting, rebuilding the economy. And, and now there's this role of building back better. And I'm always pushing for a bigger role for First Nations in that building back better, whether it be a national strategy or a regional strategy, province by province, territory by territory. So building back better, the clean, green economy. How do you see First Nations people fitting into that uh, post-COVID-19? Uh, right at the heart of everything, uh, exactly uh, where First Nations uh, should be. And, uh, you know, this is you can, you know, you can take that to the bank in terms of how I feel about it. It's, it's something I talked a lot about during uh, the leadership race. Uh, whenever there is an opportunity to make that connection, that commitment, that promise, uh, I did. Uh, the thing that I want the most uh, in terms of the Green Party, this next chapter in the Green Party's life is to have um, uh, Indigenous leadership right at the center of every decision that we're, we're making. 
And uh, so in terms of in terms of any future uh, in uh, in these territories, it has to be um, led by indigenous leadership. It has to be guided by that. Um, and so, yeah, right at the heart of right at the heart of everything. I completely I'm completely in agreement with you. Our next phase has to be accelerating our transition towards a, um, a green economy, towards a net zero economy. The only way we can do that is um, uh, hand in hand uh, with uh, indigenous leadership. Mm. Okay, well, we're going to keep advocating for that for sure. You know, me as, too. As First me Nation too. people, our elders always yeah. tell us that we were stewards of the land and waters. That's what That's the right. Creator gave us. That uh, we always talk about rights, but we also have responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And so we have to make sure that we put that front and center. Mm -hmm. So, okay, enemy, with everything we've just talked about. All the negative statistics plaguing First Nations people, all this the racism and discrimination that we know in the healthcare system and in the justice system, um, the, the huge quality of life gap between First Nations people and the rest of Canadian society, the six versus 63rd gap I keep talking about, quality of life according to UN Human Development Index. What is our message to the listeners about hope? What gives you hope that things are getting better? How do you sleep at night? In light of all these challenges we've just talked about, because I I still know that uh, big things are possible. I still know that uh, even though you're you know you're heading down uh, head, heading down a road a wrong road sometimes it's still possible to change direction. Um, I'll give you just two quick examples. One uh, is is just this the campaign that we ran. You know, we did it in a pandemic and we did it with a group of volunteers and just all volunteers, period. I mean, we had one paid person uh, and we ran this campaign for nine months uh, with people who had never met each other, different backgrounds, and they all came together to do something that had never been done in Canadian politics before. They all believed that, you know, a black woman, a black Jewish woman uh, could actually be elected to lead a federal party. And that had never been done before. And so people can still believe that things that have never been done can be done before. And they believe um, that if they come together and work on it together, it can happen. So that gives that, that is, is, is so inspirational to me. I, I will never forget that it's, um, it is, you know, it, it will continue to inspire me. Um, and then, you know, my, my husband who I brought in quickly to meet you before we started taping, he, uh, he works in countries that are um, transitioning out of civil war. Um, where people have been fighting sometimes for decades or generations, and it seems like nothing is ever going to change, nothing ever. And then sometimes it does, and all of a sudden there's a peace, you know, there's a peace negotiation, and people lay down their arms, and things have changed forever. So I know that that change is possible. I know that um, things that seem like they're never going to change are possible, and that gives me hope. That's what allows me to sleep uh, like a baby most nights. Okay. <laughs> It's <laughs> a good answer. Now, in Canada, we've got 634 First Nations. Mm -hmm. And we have over 60 different tribes or nations. You know, Teslin Klingit, the Gwich'in, the Dene, the Mohawk, the Cree, the Mi'kmaq, the Maliseet. Um, like, there's 60 different tribes or nations. And we didn't have the right to vote until 1961. And so we have this dialogue reconstituting our re-recognition of ourselves as nations, 
you know, and so we have, we can rebuild our nation as a Cree nation and are by treaty areas and are the separate Indian Act bands themselves are trying to move beyond the Indian Act. In light of this now, like having the right to vote, we don't have a First Nations People's Party of Canada. Mm. We don't have that. What are your thoughts on getting our voices into that big house called the House of Commons in order to bring about policy and legislative change from the First Nations peoples directly? You know, and then what are your thoughts on that? Uh, and uh, and I'll, I should couch it in the sense that how many First Nations people in the Green Party? How many in the Liberal Party? How many in the Conservative Party? How many in the NDP? How many in the Bloc? You know, and then we have our AFN. Is that our government? It's, you know, our, our, our nation, like all these things we've got to find the balance. What are your thoughts on that in terms of getting First Nations people involved? Yeah, I don't know the exact statistic for our party, but I can say I'm sure that it's not nearly enough. And there's some things we have to just, you know, be very upfront about if we're going to change them, uh, which is that, you know, we were in the last election, we ran the least diverse slate of candidates. And I think that we're the least um, diverse uh, party amongst the, the large parties. And I believe that one of the reasons that the members elected me is because uh, they know how committed I am to changing that. And my the first door that I'm going knocking on is yours. Um, because, you know, again, this is, I said it many times in the campaign, this, the time, no one, just, we don't need any interpreter, uh, any agent, anyone uh, to speak on behalf of the tremendous Indigenous leadership that we have in this country. Uh, indigenous leaders should be leading the Green Party of Canada. And that's what I want to see. And if I have my way, that's what's going to, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. And I believe that our members, uh, members agree. I was very clear. So I think that they agreed. Um, I would say, and I know I shouldn't say this perhaps as the leader of a political party, but I got excited when you talked about an Indigenous People's Party. That, <laughs> that got me excited. I'd love to work with a party like that. But in the, in, in the meantime, uh, I, you know, the message uh, that I want to leave with your listeners is that uh, there is a home. And uh, in me, you have a leader who, has, uh, who continues to live with the legacy and the impact of colonialism um, and, and systemic racism in a very real way, you know, in real time, it's not in the past. And so I know that I understand and that when I say I am an ally, I really mean it. Mm. Um, and so you, I hope that that makes you feel like you can find a home with us. It's a strong comment, of course. And, um, as first nations people, uh, uh we, we have to work and get along with everybody because in our worldview, we're the two leggeds. And we're all connected that we're human beings and we all live from mother earth the gift she brings us and we're part of father sky that family that that international global family and uh I've, I've always advocated that first nations people need to be at all policy decision making tables uh, locally regionally nationally even internationally and we need our voices to be heard within the green party within the liberal party uh ndp like the block uh, conservative everywhere uh, more of our First Nations people in the public sector, private sector, uh, heads of universities, on the Supreme Court of Canada, uh, more deputy ministers, like all the above, while at the same time working on our own nationhood and our sovereignty and self-determination. So we have lots of work to do. I am just thankful that uh, there's a strong leader at the Green Party helm named Annamie Paul, and we're going to build a relationship together that can bring about strong change.
and uh, a better country for all people living in this great country called Canada. Annemie Paul, leader of the Green Party of Canada, thank you so much for coming on the Akamemak podcast. Thank you so much. You know, I, I hope you'll get sick of the uh, sick of the sight of me, Perry. That's when I know that I'm doing my job. You know, if you're just like her again, <laughs> she's calling again. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this. You know, I hope this is the beginning of a uh, a strong relationship. Uh, I'm I'm just so excited that you're one of the first uh, leaders I've had the chance to speak with, and uh, I'm just you know ready to get to work with you. All right. Thank you so much again. Thank you so much, Enemy. Okay. Thank you so much. And I want to thank all the people for listening to the Akamemak podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Mm-hmm.